Welcome to The Checkup, brought to you by Barry Nilsson's Health Law Team. The Checkup is a series of interviews, case studies and stories with some truly interesting and innovative people from all kinds of backgrounds, lawyers, doctors, authors, cyber experts and more. Together we provide a regular dose of all the latest happenings in healthcare and tackle some of the big issues within the industry. If you'd like to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Podbean or Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to get in touch with our team, head to bnlaw.com.au. Hi, and welcome back to The Checkup. I'm Scott Shelley, a principal in Barry Nielsen's National Health Law Team. Today, I'm joined by Felicity Lathrop, the Resolutions Manager with the Health Complaints Commissioner in Victoria. Thanks very much for joining me on The Checkup today, Felicity. No worries, Scott. Thanks yeah. for having me. Really excited today to speak to you about the Health Complaints Commissioner. We, um, BN, regularly act for health professionals and health service providers such as hospitals and clinics who receive correspondence from the HCC regarding a complaint against them. This often is the HCC exercising one of its functions under the Health Records Act, such as an alleged privacy breach, exercising its investigating functions for general health service providers such as clinic in the unregistered professions to enforce the general code of conduct or to exercise the complaint resolution functions generally. Practitioners and health service providers who receive this correspondence quite often understandably stressed, anxious. Um, This is the first time they've probably heard from any health regulator. So our experience is this is commonly or often resulting from a lack of understanding of what the HCC is actually doing in a lot of these situations. So you've very kindly come to join us today to discuss the HCC's remit and the processes with a particular focus on your sort of hitting zone in the complaint resolution functions. And this is really to help our listeners with understanding the HCC's process and to assist with easing some of the anxiety and know that you're often not out to get them. And <laughs> not uh, <laughs> no, no. Um, and so, and today, look, we'll be focusing on the HCC in Victoria, but there are parts of this where we'll be touching on the other health complaints entities uh, nationally, and some of our discussion will be relevant to the position amongst the other states as well. So, we'll kick off with a bit about you. I know you've been excited for the personal touch of these <laughs> questions today. So, um, how did your career lead you to join the HCC? So, it was a bit of a, a roundabout process, to be honest. My first degree was actually in art history, so nothing to do with um, with government or alternative dispute resolution. Um, and then I owned a hospitality business for a number of years in country Victoria. And then after the Black Saturday bushfires, I decided I wanted to do something different with my life. So I went back to uni and did social work. Um, and then I worked as a family dispute resolution practitioner prior to this role. And about just over five years ago now, I started with the HCC. So yeah. I started as a resolutions officer in the team that I now manage. Not the traditional route? No, not not quite. A bit interesting. (laughs) Moving now onto the HCC itself, do you want to start us off with what its role is? Sure. So the Commissioner is an independent and impartial statutory officer appointed under the Health Complaints Act 2016. And we're responsible for administering two pieces of legislation. So there's the Health Complaints Act, and I'll probably refer to that as the HC Act, and the Health Records Act or HR Act. So under the Health Complaints Act, the HC Act, our powers and functions include helping to resolve complaints. So that's our bread and butter. That's the the bulk of what we do. And that's predominantly through our voluntary complaint resolution process. 
We also can provide an alternative to legal proceedings, as you know, when there's matters where a financial outcome is sought, um, if all parties agree. We also have a regulatory function. So as you mentioned, for the general health service providers, so those who are not registered with APRA, um, we are the only body in Victoria who regulates those practitioners. So we have a public safety function to protect the public from any serious risk that's posed by those practitioners. We also have complaint data review functions under the Act, so we can monitor trends in complaint data, we can conduct complaint data reviews to look at um, is there a particular you know, trend coming out of an organisation or a, a particular provider that may allow us to help them improve their complaint handling. So the focus is on looking at, at complaint handling with those reviews. And we also have an educative function. So we educate consumers and providers about their rights and responsibilities. And we do that through the process itself, but we also deliver training. Um, now it's mostly online throughout the year and we do have some online modules on our website that can be accessed at any time. Varied and plenty to keep the commissioner busy there. Very varied, so. yeah. So that, that's the overview of the HCC. How does it differ to some of the other health regulators out there? So the vast majority of our matters are dealt with in our voluntary complaint resolution process. So we have a real focus on alternative dispute resolution. Our investigations function is not sort of the, the primary function that we have. And we also emphasise the least formal approach. So that's actually something that's enshrined in the legislation. Um, it says that we need to preference the least formal approach whenever we're dealing with a matter. So we really try to be as informal as we possibly can to look at resolving disputes between parties. Um, where we do investigate, we do primarily focus on those GHSPs. There's a lot of acronyms in our in our work, General Health Service Providers. So, as you said, we have a, a code of conduct um, that must be adhered to by all General Health Service Providers in Victoria, and we look at breaches of the code. So, we may get something in our resolution space where our officers pick up, hang on, this actually is a general health service provider and there might be some code issues and we can refer that then to our investigations team to review. So we actually work quite closely within the organisation. Um, we're a very small organisation, so there's only about 15 of us in the resolutions space and fewer investigators. So we've probably got about I think, nine investigators at the moment. So we're pretty tiny. Um, and we also, of course, take complaints under the Health Records Act, which, as you know, is my favourite piece of legislation. I love the health privacy <laughs> complaints. many people that are saying that. <laughs> yes. Um, I think it's, uh, it's a really interesting area. So that can cover a really broad range of providers. So non-health service providers, anyone who handles health information, essentially, is likely to be covered by the Health Records Act. Mm. So we get some really really fascinating complaints in that space. So we touched on what you're doing and how you're different to some of the other health, you might like APRA that's doing the registered professions and things like that. What about the other health complaint entities around the country? How does HCC operate compared to them? So the legislation that enacts each HCE is different. Um, so I couldn't, we'd have a whole another podcast um, going into how all the different states do things differently. So in terms of, I guess, what we do that might be different is just looking at our processes under the Act. So again, it's that real focus on 
resolution as opposed to investigation. The HCC is not interested in the outcome of, of the complaint. So we're, we're really impartial. Um, we're just facilitating a process whereby parties can work together towards resolving their own dispute. So they really bring the content. Very different to APRA in that we're not requiring the practitioners to provide a detailed response about their clinical decision making, for example. It's more about encouraging that communication between the parties. So we we don't need to know what the practitioner did necessarily. It's about what does the person making the complaint need to know for them to feel that the matter's resolved. Mm. So that would probably be a, a bit of a point of difference. I guess in terms of our investigation space, what they do is the much more public kind of face of our work. So you'll see our prohibition orders and our interim prohibition orders on our website. They're also posted in social media as well. So that's kind of the the glamorous side of things. I don't, that's not what I do. Um, but um, as I said, you know, the, the vast majority of matters are not dealt with in that investigation space, but you will see a lot more of the investigation stuff in the media. Yeah more visible. Yeah, absolutely. Coming back to you, Joe, don't you enjoy, <laughs> uh, uh, what, what's your usual day look like? So I manage a team of around nine resolution staff at the moment. So that's a mixture of res officers and senior res officers. So a lot of my days reviewing stuff. So I spend a lot of time looking at other people's matters. Um, they ask me for advice about how they should progress things. I sort of keep an eye on what's coming into the office. We're actually getting a really high volume of, of matters at the moment. So we could get sort of anywhere from 40 to 80 phone calls a day, um, which right. could potentially all turn into new cases. Yeah. So we'll have things that happen, you know, on our like phone call lines that we need to sort of keep on top of. I also have my own caseload. So I manage a small caseload of predominantly health privacy complaints because that's, <laughs> that's what I like to do um, and they're quite, they can be quite uh, lengthy and complicated. So I also make sure that I allocate the matters to the team. So we have kind of a, a queue that comes in of all of our new cases and I assess each matter before I give it to one of my team to make sure it's commensurate with their skill and expertise. So we really put quite a lot of work into making sure that we're sort of giving the right cases to the right people. And I also deal with complaints about us. So if someone's not happy no. with how one of my officers has handled their matter, I'll review it and make sure we're, you know, following administrative and, and legislative processes. And I deliver training as well. So I do oh, some okay. training for the Health Records Act, of course. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, largely done online now. So just online seminars um, that health service providers can sign up for. Oh, great. Yeah, very varied. Yeah, you never know what you're going to get yeah, on any yeah, given day, which yeah, is one of the reasons I, I love the job. Yeah. Much like running a, a cafe in country Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> um, coming back now, you touched on there about receiving phone calls about complaints. Uh, how is the HCC being notified of complaints? So members of the public can make complaints via our online complaint form, which is on our website, and that's definitely our preference. So we'd love people to use the online form as much as possible. Um, you can attach documents. It's got all the fields of information that we typically need. People can also call us. So we have a 1300 number. Um, we get, as I said, a, a high volume of phone calls. Our calls are answered live. So we have a team of people answering the calls and they will take down all the details of the case um, and they can provide general information as well. So if someone rings up and says, you know, 
I have a complaint about a hospital, but I haven't been able to talk to anyone about it. We can direct them to the correct sort of pathway to do that. Um, So we'll provide contact details for feedback teams and things that are publicly available. We also get referrals of complaints. So agencies like Mental Health Complaints Commissioner, APRA, I'll go into APRA in a bit more Mm. detail, Um, OVIC and Disability Services Commissioner can refer matters to us. People sometimes still do post things to us, which we don't love (laughs) because they tend to take a really long time and then we have to sort of scan them in, et cetera. But people can post, so we are still sort of accessible. Um, And we also have a dedicated phone line for all the prisons in Victoria. So anyone who's in prison can ring us um, to complain about the prison health services. So really accessible for people that need to to make a complaint to make sure they can find their way. Absolutely. And if someone has an accessibility issue, like if they, you know, we we might get a message from someone to say, look, I can't do X, Y or Z, we'll Mm. do our very best to, to accommodate that. So we use, you know, interpreters, National Relay Service. Um, we, you know, try our best to make sure that everyone has the ability to make a complaint. Oh, great. So you mentioned APRA there. How does APRA work with HCC? So for us in Victoria, the Health Complaints Act and the national law set out a mutual obligation for the HCC to notify APRA of any complaints it receives about registered practitioners. And we also receive data from APRA about the complaints they get, or they call them notifications, um, that they get about registered practitioners. So the mechanism for us is we receive a complaint, it's about a registered GP, for example, we send a copy of that complaint to APRA and we say, we've got this and we'll make a bit of an assessment. So we might say, we've got this, it's about billing, we think we should keep it because it's not something that, you know, is is a high risk matter. We might get something for example, that is about a boundary violation by that GP, we would then say to APRA, look, we think you guys should take this because Mm. this is not suitable for our complaint resolution process. So we need to agree on which body will deal with the matter and that depends, of course, on the nature of the complaint. So APRA is typically going to deal with stuff that relates to risk, um, performance, conduct of registered practitioners. We might look at something more where there's an ongoing relationship with the practitioner. So if someone is still seeing that practitioner, but the communication's broken down for whatever reason, we could add value by dispute resolution. So we might keep something of, of that nature. Um, the agreement process doesn't always happen at the beginning. It's it's ideal if it does, but sometimes we might not know all of the information about a complaint. So we might sort of... I've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> we may at times um, get quite far into dealing with the matter um, and then you know, APRA may decide that it wants referral. And that that can sometimes be due to delays in, in timing, which is really unfortunate. That's really frustrating when that happens. Other times it can be that we actually become aware of information throughout the course of our complaint resolution process. So the Health Complaints Act, again, allows us to share information at any time with APRA. So it doesn't have to be at that single sort yeah. of starting point. And the lens we use for that is, of course, public safety. Yeah. So if, if we come across something we think, oh, wow, that's actually quite a high risk. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll share that information with APRA. Yeah. And it, a consultation process would occur mm. to decide who will, will deal with it. In terms of how we communicate that 
to practitioners, which is probably what your clients mm. are most interested in. Yeah. Um, so at the start of a matter, if APRA says, yes, we want to take this, so the person's only come to the HCC, they've lodged mm. their online complaint, we show APRA, APRA says, nope, that's one for us, thanks. We will notify both parties in writing. So the only time we don't do that is if APRA requests deferral of notification, say don't tell the practitioner, obviously mm. we can't. Yeah. Um, but we'll send a letter out and say, look, this has been referred to APRA. At that point, we have nothing further to do with it. Mm. So it's it's really frustrating for practitioners sometimes because they say, well, what is this? I've not heard anything about this. I haven't yeah. seen it. Like, what are you talking about? There's a complaint that's gone to APRA. So we sort of have to say, look, you'll need to talk to APRA about it. You'll have to follow up with them, contact your insurer. <laughs> uh, and we've got some very stressed practitioners when that happens. Yeah, and, so and it's, it's, um, it's not ideal. Yeah, because sometimes ARPA has insisted on their end to be able to release information either. So yeah, it can it's... it can take a long time. And look, I can't speak for for ARPA's timeframes, but um, yeah, look, sometimes there's there is that lag, mm. um, which I appreciate is is really stressful mm. when you like I don't know what's happening. No. Um, but yeah, if if we're dealing with something, um, we'll certainly you know get in touch as soon as we can and and give them all the info we can. But yeah, the APRA referrals can be a bit of a, a fraught situation for practitioners sometimes, I think. Well, especially when um, the HCC closes or whatever it is, then goes off to APRA, uh, APRA finishes and then heads back to the HCC. Yes, again. I can I can talk to that as well if you would like me to. <laughs> yes, please. Um, so what will often happen is if APRA takes a matter um, and it does its process or it might investigate, it might make recommendations to the board. There may be, you know, something placed on the public register, for example. If a person wants a financial outcome, APRA doesn't deal with financial outcomes. So all it's interested in is the conduct of the practitioner. So if the person says, well, I believe that this practitioner was negligent and I would like to pursue my claim, once APRA has made its decision, the person can come back to the HCC. But again, it's a voluntary process. So we can't compel the practitioner to consider compensation in our process, but it does exist as that alternative to legal proceedings. So if the practitioner is willing to settle, for example, and they don't want to go through a lengthy court process, we can provide that alternative framework to allow that negotiation to take place. So whilst I appreciate it is stressful, it can potentially be less stressful than going through APRA and then having to go through a oh, court process. Very useful <laughs> process for sure. Yeah. yeah, once it's communicated properly to yeah. practitioners to be able to yeah, short, shortcut yeah. and into the, yeah. the plaintiff if you can get there. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, again, we, we prioritise that least formal approach. So if someone comes back, you know, we'll get in touch with the practitioner and we're really mindful that they've just been through an APRA process. So to say, look, I understand you've just had to bear your soul yeah. to the medical board, but, um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're here to try and get this resolved as quickly and, and informally as possible. Mm-hmm. So speed is not always the priority, but it can be really helpful um, when people just want something to be over. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, thanks for that. I think that's probably leads into this next question about health service providers, you know, medical practitioners or practitioners or even clinics and those being threatened or defensive when contacted by the HCC, feeling like they've done something wrong when they've received a complaint. So what does the HCC do when that person calls up or posts you a bunch of documents with a complaint? 
Absolutely. So once we get a complaint, it sort of goes on a queue to be assigned to an officer. So as soon as something is assigned, the officer will assess the complaint and usually make contact with both parties. So what we're trying to do is figure out what is this? What's happened? What is the complaint? What are the the key issues of the complaint for the person who's made it? What outcomes do they want? And what is the prospect that this can be resolved in our process? So that's probably a key factor of, is this suitable for our process, is the first question, because not everything is suitable for our process. So I think one of the most confronting parts for practitioners is, They get a call or an email from us saying, we've received this complaint, this is what it is, and they say, that's absolutely not what happened. That is not my experience. That is completely contrary to what I recall. And we we get that. So by sending the practitioner the complaint, we're not making a judgment about the veracity of the information we've received. So we're, we're simply saying, this is what we've got. We are now inviting you to provide us with your side of the story. So it's it's really kind of looking at that. Um, if you want to draw a comparison to sort of alternative dispute resolution, it's an agenda setting process at the start to say this person's come to the table with this stuff. You're coming to the table with your stuff. Is there any potential to kind of work together towards an agreement? So that's really our starting point when we're assessing complaints. We don't make determinations, so we're completely impartial. As I said, we have no interest in the outcome. We're not advocates. We're not saying, you know, this patient has been wronged, anything like that. We're simply saying, here's an opportunity, here's a process that we can facilitate for you where you don't have to talk to this person directly necessarily. So that can be really helpful if, if communication's really broken down. We are that conduit. Um, so we're not saying, you know, let's all sit in a room and, you know, you can get shouted at by someone who's angry at you. It's much more around what value can we add? Is there anything productive we can achieve here? And there isn't always. So there's definitely matters where uh, <laughs> where we would say, look, you know, there's there's nothing further we can we can do here, particularly in cases where a practitioner may have engaged really fulsomely with a complainant prior to them coming to us and the person simply remains dissatisfied. Mm. So they're saying, you know, the practitioner's lying or I don't believe whatever information Mm. they're giving me. We're not an evidentiary process, so we're not testing evidence. We're not looking at, you know, is it true that the doctor said this on the Mm. 4th of April? Like that's absolutely not what we're about. So those kinds of matters where the parties can't even agree on the facts Mm. often aren't able to be resolved in our process. Yeah, yeah mm. not unless you find a way to cut around it, which is sometimes very difficult. Yeah, look, I guess that's our skill, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, we employ all sorts of alternative dispute resolution techniques to try and sort of shift matters um, and, you know, support both parties. So we're, we're definitely not... Um, as I think you said at the start, you know, out to get the the mm, practitioners. Yeah. We we appreciate that it's you know it can be a really stressful and upsetting time for yeah. them um, as well. Oh, which we certainly see from your team on our end as well. So good to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, coming back to that complaint resolution process, and I know you mentioned informal as possible, really, and we see that from you know you might get the email with not much else about it through to much more detailed documents. So what is involved for practitioners in that complaint resolution process? 
So the first thing to note is that we direct all complainants to try and resolve their complaint with the practitioner directly in the first instance. So that's obviously not always appropriate, but I would say probably 90% of the time, if someone comes to us and they say, oh, you know, I'm really upset that Dr. Smith did X, Y, Z, we'll say, well, have you told Dr. Smith that? Have you actually made the complaint to the doctor directly? Have you complained to the hospital directly? And if they say no, we'll coach them to do that. So we can provide letter templates. We can sort of give them a bit of coaching about how to raise their complaint because our preference is empowering people where possible to resolve the dispute themselves as opposed to coming to our office in the first instance. And as I'm sure you've seen, practitioners get pretty annoyed if they haven't (laughs) been given the opportunity to respond um, in the first instance. So a lot of our first steps are checking with the practitioner to say, look, we've, we've had this person come to us with this complaint. Are you aware of it? Do you know about it? What steps have you taken to try and resolve it? And if they say, I have no idea what you're talking about, we'll tell the person, look, you know, Dr. Smith has no idea. Can you maybe, you know, write him a letter or give her a phone call, et cetera. So we'll, we'll actually kind of push people back to that space where we can. As I said, and I'll keep reiterating this, we don't make any judgments or determinations. So when we first contact a practitioner, we haven't made any sort of assumption about what's happened or what hasn't happened. So we're really focused on giving information. So this is who we are. This is what we do. A lot of practitioners have dealt with us before, particularly if they're at a large health service, um, just because of the volume of episodes of care. If it's someone we've never come across before, obviously we're going to approach that you know, really sensitively to say, look, I understand you probably don't want to hear from me. <laughs> I'm not here to, you know, to be frightening. I'm actually here to support you. And we encourage practitioners to seek advice. So I think a lot of particularly sort of your sole practitioners or, or specialists that may operate from their own business, they sometimes forget that they have insurers for this purpose. So they kind of go, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do and what should I do? And they're asking us, you know, how do I respond to this? So we will say, you know, you need to contact your your medical defence organisation. They have consultants that can talk to you. You can contact your college. So if they're part of, you know, a peak body or they have a college, they can contact for advice. Um, Yeah, we we just try and be sort of as supportive as we can um, and just explain the process. So I think... And this will come back to something that I'll probably touch on later on, but it's all about managing expectations. It's about being really clear about this is what we're trying to do here. So people may have their own expectations of what our service (laughs) may be able to achieve, but a lot of our work is that expectation setting to just come back to this is who we are, this is what we do, it's all based in the legislation, so we can only do what the Acts allow us to do. Makes sense. Um, This might be a hard one for you to speak to generally, But what are common or recurring issues that the HCC sees? I can definitely give you some data about this because we obviously track these. So if we're looking at issues, it's relevant to think about the type of provider we're looking at as well. So as I said, the most complaints we receive are about hospitals just due to the volume and then medical practitioners and medical clinics. So that's simply due to the volume of episodes of care that those services and practitioners will have coming through. Most common issues are treatment issues. So people being dissatisfied with an opinion or a diagnosis, 
can range then into suboptimal outcomes, poor surgical outcomes, adverse outcomes. So it's a really broad spectrum um, when we're talking about treatment issues. We have issue taxonomies that we use in our complaints to capture um, individual issues. So each complaint would typically have anywhere between sort of one and six issues depending on the complexity. So that's, again, this sort of really, really broad scope of what we're dealing with. You know, it can range from the doctor told me that I have hives when in fact it was, you know, a mosquito bite Mm. to, you know, they've operated on the wrong organ. Um, So it's a really, really broad range of, of issues there. And access to service is the next most common issue. So that's really blown out with COVID. So people, you know, wanting to access GP clinics, wanting to access procedures. It's just, yeah. Psychologists. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yep. So there's waiting lists for services at the moment and we can't do anything about that. So if someone comes to us and says, you know, I was told I'd get an appointment on this day and it's been, you know, months later, um, unless there's been some sort of administrative error, we can't impact wait lists at all. We don't administer any kind of um, department issued guidelines. So people were getting quite upset about not being able to access vaccines at GP clinics. A lot of GP clinics were saying we're not seeing any new patients and we can't impact that at all. A private business can make its own decisions about that sort of thing. So the next one down the list would be medication issues. At the moment, we're seeing a lot of supply chain issues, so people not being able to access the brand of medication that they would usually get and then potentially having to pay more for a substitute. And then on the tail of medication issues, we've got conduct and behaviour and fees and billing. So they're kind of the the main categories of of complaints. Conduct and behaviour is usually really about communication. So it's sort of more around... It's such a a common issue. (laughs) Absolutely. People saying, you know, they're rude or dismissive or, you know, the manner is, is really the key there. Again, if it's a serious issue such as a boundary violation, it would be APRA for a registered practitioner and we would generally deal with that in our investigation space. So those matters are not suitable for Mm. resolutions um, for obvious reasons. So we would bring anything like that to the attention of the relevant body. Um, Fees and billing are generally pretty straightforward, but they can get complicated, for example, private hospitals. So the billing structures at private hospitals are quite complicated sometimes. People don't realise that they're going to get billed separately for imaging, for pathology. So those can get a little um, little bit tricky. And also because people are unwell, they don't have an understanding of what's happening. So one thing I guess I would say for practitioners is never assume that the person has any kind of level of understanding. You need to actually make sure that yeah. they've they've understood the information. Yeah, health um, literacy is really important if you can scope it out. Absolutely. And I get that it's, you know, can be impossible in a, a high volume, high pressure situation, mm-hmm. but that's at the root of a lot of those issues is people saying, well, I just didn't know, I didn't understand. And they're like, oh, well, we gave you the 10-page form with the 60 tick boxes in it while you were having a medical emergency. And it's like, no, we, we did not take that in. So, yeah, common thread is communication, absolutely. And then, of course, my, my beloved Health Records Act complaints. So biggest issues, access to health information and correction. So, as you know, they have a, a sneaky way of turning out to be more complicated than they first appear. They certainly do. <laughs> so, yes. 
Great. Um, uh, we've touched on this a bit already, this next one, but and I know that, that you can refer to ARPA, but there, there are other HCC referrals to other health regulators and you know, in what circumstances are you making those, those referrals? There are. So the Health Complaints Act sets out some pieces of legislation that we can actually refer under. So Mental Health Complaints Commissioner is probably the most common. So Mental Health Complaints Commissioner deals with anything to do with public mental health services. So someone's receiving treatment under the Mental Health Act or they're an inpatient at a public mental health service, um, it would be their jurisdiction. So we'll often make those referrals. Disability Services Commissioner, which is soon to be one with the Mental Health Complaints yes. Commissioner, um, is another one. So we don't get a whole lot of those. Um, OVIC is another one. So the Office of the Victorian Information Commissioner. We actually meet bi-monthly with OVIC's Assistant Commissioner just to talk about any cross-jurisdictional yeah. issues that might come up. We've had a lot to do with them in relation to mask and vaccine yes. um, mandates, which is I have found it fascinating. I think um, most other people haven't really, but I found it really interesting from a from a legal perspective. And we can only deal with health complaints about health services provided in Victoria. So if, if it's about something that's happened in another state, we can't necessarily refer directly, but we would direct the person to the appropriate HCE. Yes. Probably the most important question here for you, uh, what tips can you provide to health service providers about avoiding a complaint and managing a complaint once received. Absolutely. So the old adage about assumptions is true. I think one must never assume that, you know, if you're working in a, a particular area, you know, you're going to see a broad range of patients. They, they may have completely different understandings of how things work. So that initial information provision and, and expectation management is really important. It's all communication. I mean, really fundamentally, it comes down to communication and, and how you're explaining things to people. I mean, there's always going to be situations where it doesn't matter yeah. how, how good the explanation sure. is. But, you know, by and large... It, it will come down to, you know, I didn't understand or no one told me or particularly if you're in sort of that hospital setting, you know, the doctor didn't tell us anything. The doctor didn't tell us what to expect or we, we only found out from one of the nurses that this is what the doctor had actually said or done. So it's, it's really, really important to, I think, maintain that you know, a level of communication and kind of seeing people as as people, um, which again, you know, I, I fully appreciate how horrible the last two years have yeah. been for everyone, you know, in the in the health sector. And it's really hard, you know, you get fatigued and, and you sort of think, you know, I just need to get through the day. But um, just remembering that, that, you know, we do this because we care about people. And the other thing would be to familiarise themselves with the complaint handling standards. So the Health Complaints Act sets out complaint handling standards um, that set the minimum standard for complaint handling for all health service providers in Victoria. It's not a huge document, it's pretty easy to read and it's pretty straightforward. So a lot of the things are pretty common sense. You know, setting out a framework for complaint handling to say part of this 
work is getting complaints. It's inevitable. If you work in health service provision, you're going to get complaints at some point. So having a process around how to deal with a complaint when it does arise is really helpful because if you're documenting things correctly, if you've got processes in place, it just makes it that much easier. If it does get to a health complaints entity like us, we can see, oh, you've done all of these things already to try and address this. You've, you've got these good systems and processes in place. Where can we add value? So it sort of makes everyone's job a lot easier. Um, seeking advice, of course, from people like yourself and, you know, yeah. insurers is really helpful. So if someone gets themselves into a sticky situation, put your hand up straight away and say, help, um, I need some some advice before things kind of descend into further difficulty. Practitioners do sometimes call us and say, can you please come mediate <laughs> this dispute between, <laughs> between us and this, you know, difficult patient. Unfortunately, we can't do that. <laughs> so we're not a, um, an on-demand mediation service, but, you know, they can certainly encourage the person to make a complaint. Well, they, so. have, they have to at the end of it in a way, really. So. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So providing our details is, um, is helpful. However, um, we, we're also not a magical solution. Like we, <laughs> we, can't, um, we can't fix everything. So, and I think the most important thing, once a complaint is received by us, just remembering that we're not advocating for the complainant. So we're there to support the provider as well and run that impartial process. So, you know, it might be a process that happens at the end of a therapeutic relationship where things are broken down or it might be to save one. Yeah. So it's, it's um, yeah, really varied. But don't be frightened of us. Give us a call. Ask us questions. I take a lot of the inquiries about health privacy. But, yeah, if, if people have questions about complaints processes, we run training as well. So we do training on code of conduct, complaint handling and Health Records Act. So just uh, keep an eye on our website for those. And we've also got online modules on Health Records Act and code of conduct. Oh, great. Oh, some um, excellent takeaways there for listeners in the event of a complaint. Hopefully, I think Felicity, that's been really useful for a lot of people to you know lift the bonnet on the HCC's processes <laughs> and get a bit of an insight. And hopefully, we'll have less stressed practitioners on our side of the fence and than others for that. And so, you know, thanks again for joining us today. It's been really insightful. My pleasure, Scott. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Checkup. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with BN's health law team, please head to bnlaw.com.au. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to The Checkup on any podcasting platform. Chat soon.